welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're welcoming back Wes Woodbury, a game designer, illustrator, graphic designer, and owner of Fundamental Games. Today, we're talking about his newest game, Forge, which is currently on Kickstarter. Wes, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Glad to be on your show again, James. I, I heard it was your, like your 330th episode. That's fantastic. Or 331. Uh, 231. This is the 231. And uh, last time you were on the podcast was episode 81. So it's been some time. Yeah, yeah it has been. <laughs> oh, it's great to have you back, man. So you've been pretty busy uh, cranking out games. I think last time we talked, it was, I think, Questros was the last game you had uh, that we had you on the podcast with. But I know that you continuously are cranking out titles and things like that. I would encourage people to go back to episode 81 if you want to go super deep on fundamental games and the history of of Wes Woodbury. Uh, But today we're going to get into some of the things he's been doing since and maybe get some learnings and so forth about game design and game development. And then we'll talk about Forge. How's that sound? Right on. So I know one thing that uh, you've been working on uh, since we talked last was uh, you've got into 3D animation. Right, you even helped me on one of my last campaigns. You did some uh, some elements for that. How's that going? Yeah, I learned about it when I well, I was just trying to find a way to explore the hobby more because it's such an expensive hobby, and see is there yeah. something more I can learn or do that would allow me to uh, contribute more to a campaign. So I fig- I figured out what people use. It's a program. Most people use a program called Blender, and it's absolutely free. I couldn't believe it. I, I downloaded a program on my computer. And just started watching tutorials on YouTube and learning from some people in the trade. And before you know it, I was spinning things and making things, and it's a very cool program. Now I got to ask the video. Like I was looking at the animation on your your uh, Kickstarter video. Did you do that animation yourself? Yeah, the campaign video for Forge and all the gifts in there. That was all made by myself using Blender and um, After Effects to kind of tweak some of it later on. Wow. So you've built some skills up. <laughs> I mean, uh, I got to give a shout out to Ori Kagan. He does Kagan Productions and he built a, um, a a product that allows you to quickly adapt your images to game, traditional game products like tokens or boxes. Yep. But then animating it from there is a, a lot of other hard work. But his package at least gets you your foot in the door. Yeah, that was kind of cool when he launched that. I guess, uh, I mean, he's so busy, right? And Ori does, I mean, shout out to him. He does amazing, amazing work. But he was getting to a point where he only has so much time. He can only take on so many clients, right? And when that happens, typically your pricing will start to creep up, right? Because if you have more demand than you supply, then you got to kind of price accordingly. And I mean, super high elite level work that he does. And he's like, you know, I have all these people still coming to me that are small players. I, You know, I'm kind of outside of their price range but I think I can still help, right? And he created these base packages to help, again, people looking to get into Blender, which is free, as you said, um, to learn how to do some of this stuff themselves. And um, I think if you look around uh, the internet, there's so many tools now available to people that um, when you have the larger budget games and Kickstarter campaigns, I think that's where you can pump some money into some of these videos. But some of these other campaigns, uh, you know, small publishers, independent publishers that are trying to kind of get their their foot in the door and don't have a lot of budgetary dollars to put towards something like a video. There's so many other things you can do uh, to get to get there, right? Uh, if we look at, um, gosh, my last campaign, I did planting evidence, 
most of that video was using stock video, right? So if you go on storyblocks.com, there's a plug. I don't owe them any money. I have a subscription there, but it allows you to download a little 10 second clips, you know, and I strung together a bunch of clips and put a, a voice track underneath it, which kind of tied into uh, tied into the story of the game. What shocks me often is sometimes people will go and um, create a, a video uh, on a, on a game that's that's all digital when they have a physical copy they could shoot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you have the game to shoot what you got. You don't have to go and do all this crazy 3D animation, right? So there's lots of practical ways to kind of to get in there and get started. And uh, it's cool when I see people like yourself, um, you know, being able to do things like your own gifts and things like this for the uh, for the campaign. Uh, Was there there's, some- definitely, there's definitely workarounds, like you mentioned with the physical prototype. That's what I had done with Dungeon Makers was tried to make video and components out of the physical but yeah. there's something different about digital that just attracts the eye when you're scrolling or when you're you're looking on a mobile device so just some little bit different and i think that's why ori and the other production companies do so well is it just it, it feels um, attractive to the eye to watch these programs and play oh yeah i mean they look like video game trailers too right david ds is another one great one from Essa labs he's uh you know uber talented so um yeah. So what were some of the learnings you carried over from the, these other campaigns into, into this campaign? Um, I learned to never keep, get your hopes too high up to keep yourself grounded, set your levels low and uh, make sure that no matter how confident you are, you just always have to keep engaging your audience, your backers and uh, out on, on the social web, uh, whoever you're talking to, um, you can't always focus on your own product. It's still just as important to help contribute to others, whether yeah. it's, commenting on their posts or likes or um, even just general games. It's making sure that you're not um, kind of selfishly just focused on yourself. It's amazing. Somebody once told me that, um, you know, the greatest enemy of success sometimes can be success, right? Because you forget, it's easy to forget the grind, right? It's easy to forget everything you went through to get to where you were. And you got to do that every campaign. Like it's, you know, new campaign. All right. Now I got to cultivate that audience again, right? I got to start doing all these kind of fundamental things that are involved in building out a Kickstarter campaign um, that uh, you can't assume is just the people are going to come. You got to build that audience. And in a case like yours, um, you've got a, a new genre, right? So you've got a, a Euro now that you're launching. Um, what was the decision for you to kind of get into Euros? Where did that kind of spring from? In all my other games uh, and in my whole life, I've always enjoyed the fantasy, the dungeons, the dragons, the wizards, the magic. And um, But I know that doesn't appeal to all people. And when you're trying to build board games and try to spread your audience, you, sometimes you just need to realize that there's a different audience out there that you can tap into. And so I wanted to still have that fantasy touch, which is why I went with forging and blacksmithing. Um, so there's still swords and fire and whatnot, but um, it's something that's more widespread in in culture like blacksmith smithing and ironwork and all of that we wouldn't have the society we have today without that core element from medieval times so i just wanted to touch on something outside of fantasy and i also wanted to do a game that wasn't just about rolling dice and moving warriors and stuff around so that's where the euro mechanic came in i played a lot of fantastic euro games like peace for odin or uh, viticulture or stone age and mm-hmm. i wanted to see can I do something like that? Is there a different spin I can put on it, but it's still familiar? And uh, that's what we ended up with is Forge. 
So was Ford, did the theme come first or the, or the, was it the theme then before mechanics? Um, the, the thought process of non-fantasy game was uh, the first thing that was going mm. through my head. And the second thing was Euro and settled on the idea of Forge because uh, I was kind of in a uh, Forge and Fire binge mode. I was watching those episodes yeah. probably two or three a week. And I just love, love how in three hour time span, they have to make a, a perfect knife and present it. And um, that showed, I was trying to marry the two together. Could I make a Forge and Fire game? Not quite, but I could make a game that is built around that blacksmithing concept. I was going to ask because that's one of my favorite shows too, right? The the famous saying the guy says is your your blade will cut. <laughs> it's, it's the, <laughs> but yeah. there is that attraction to that, right? Like when I when I look at all the TV shows that are on TV and reality TV and things like that, everything from you know cake, you know these baking shows and now candy shows and you know getting in dating shows there's every possible genre you can think of of reality shows and when they first started showing these shows where people were were forging metal i was like like wow like this is so obscure but i can't look away right like it's it it just it just pulls you in and what I think is really cool about those shows is how deep they get into tradition, right? They go deep on tradition and they'll pick a, a certain uh, historical background, whether they're talking about katanas or, you know, other types of uh, forged steel. And, you know, they encourage people to follow the traditional ways. And, and when you hear these blacksmiths, even modern day blacksmiths, they'll talk about it and they'll explain, here's why this blade is strong and here's how you approach it. And here's how many times you have to fold the metal to get this kind of design out and so forth. It's, it's super cool. And I, I I can see how this would feed into your kind of desire to say, okay, now how can I you know, capture some of that essence right into, into a game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the show, the first half is all about just a knife, but then the second half is the history and special blades or special weapons. And uh, it's just really cool to see those people's personal forges and all the different things they do in their garage or their, their home setting to try to do what people have been doing for thousands of years. Uh, so, yeah. Very- and do you, you, do you know, like I know in all your, uh, on your page, there's tons of imagery of this block. So, you know, a blacksmith or is that just kind of uh, set That's, up? Like we did two things in terms of trying to reach out to blacksmiths. One was um, uh, my co my partner in publishing hammer dog games, Danny O'Neill. He was in uh, Eschenspiel and he brought a copy with him and he, a German blacksmith just happened to go to his booth and liked his game because we had a prototype of Forge there. And he's like, yeah, take this game. So he took it to his home Forge and you'll see the picture of Nikolai or Nicholas, I can't remember. Uh, yep. He's the cover of the Forge Kickstarter page and that's him at his home Forge holding the game. Uh, so that was one part. And he played it with his family and he said he enjoyed it. And he's actually bringing it to another Forge in, um, where is he going? I think Finland. Um, early April and is going to do some more photo ops. So that's just fantastic that he was willing to do that. And then near my hometown by Calgary, I just Googled and looked for modern blacksmiths. Are there any out here (laughs) type of thing? And there was a guy on a place called Black Cat Metal. His name is Chris. And he has a a bachelor's in some kind of um, social studies or whatnot, but he decided to change his lifestyle and just become a modern day blacksmith. And that's his life now. So he bought a shop he lives in calgary and he just makes knives and has training classes to teach people about how to make things out of nothing using um kind of historical materials 
Yeah, and, and, well, I think it's kind of cool. Some of these shows too is you'll see them like take like a like a piece of chain <laughs> and then melt yeah. it down and make it into like a weapon, right? Like it's it, it's insane. And then the imagery you had on that video too is pretty cool. The guy smacking the the forge at the beginning. So did you guys film that, or is that is that the the German guy, or is that the guy in Calgary? Well, or? I have that talent. Well, that's good old uh, paying Shutterstock for. Uh, oh, there you go. Dollars <laughs> to get a video. Like it's only a small part of the clip, but. The idea or the premise was, you know, just introduce a quick blurb about uh, foraging history or, or thematics and then break the silence with the hammer strike and then go into the game. No, it's super cool. Uh, and I mean, full disclosure, to anyone's listening, I actually backed this game. Right. So I'm 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 very excited about this game myself. Uh, I can't wait to get a, a copy of it. Uh, I'm going to show your uh, Kickstarter page on screen for people who are watching live or on the on the replay. Um, so I was wondering if you can kind of, it's, you know, this plays up to four players it's one to four yep. players. So I guess there's a solo mode. Um, yep. can you walk us through kind of the, the essence of how to play this game? Yeah. So, um, worker placements, there's always a commonality to worker placement games. Everybody has a certain amount of workers and you can go to certain places. So in this game, we call them assistants. Uh, each player starts with two and you, you automatically get a third and a fourth in the game. You don't have to go and buy them or. Uh, feed them or any of that stuff that you do in some euros but you, each turn you take one of your assistants or your blacksmith token and you go to a, a place in the city to get resources or contracts or materials and throughout the game you're going to be using those things to try to upgrade your forge make it a little bit better get some benefits um, you're going to try to train your assistants or your meeples your assistants can actually have individual powers that you don't often see in games and so you might train a, a meeple who's really good at going to get uh, gemstones from the mine, or you might train one that can actually do blacksmithing duties. Um, so training is a part of it. Developing your forge is a part of it. And of course, the, the essence of the game is about forging things. So you can forge contracts to earn more money and earn points. Um, all, all of this kind of tethers together in an achievement board. And kind of one of the core talking points about the game is dropping a hammer, dropping an achievement hammer. <laughs> The game, the game end triggers when one person has dropped their fifth hammer and there's seven different achievements. Um, so there's a little bit of a race mechanic going on that you don't always see in worker placement games or Euros because you're watching what each other are doing and seeing, you know, can I get that achievement before somebody else so I get a few more points? Or is that player going to end the game on me? And if they are, what can I do to maximize my points before that happens? Uh, so a lot of commonalities to existing euro games but some racing mechanics and some thematic tie-ins that i think still help differentiate it and how long does this game uh play uh the short game is about 60 minutes a long game usually no more than 90 minutes when you know the rules inside and out and um setup time is probably five minutes or less and i noticed you guys have this on tabletop simulator as well has this been on tabletop simulator for a while or is this just part of the launch or yeah, I've had it on TTS for the last six months or so. I'll probably keep it on there for another month, and then we'll be pulling it off once the campaign's over and the game's produced. Uh, oh, really? I like okay. TTS as a way to playtest. I like it as a way to promote and have people see the game while the campaign's live. But um, you don't always want to give away the farm once the game's out there. You really want to sell the physical copy after that. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's kind of the the thing, right? Like, yeah, I think for prototyping, for sure. Um, and it's surprising on a game like this when you have this many components is actually pretty tough to program these into tabletop when you have all these little components. Right. Um, but from my own experience, uh, it, it's a great tool to, uh, to prototype, to, 
um, to iterate with, but also then to uh, have people play test around the world. Right. And so if there's some places where you can't physically get your game for somebody to try it out, you can still do a playthrough of that person so they get a good idea on how it plays. Um, and then I've seen kind of two camps where people will um, both um, uh, either leave it up or take it down based on how kind of the game goes, right? So, um, you know, hopefully if you have people in different countries who have your game, they're going to reach out to you and say, hey, is there is there a way I can digitally play with my friend that's uh, on the other side of the planet? So. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's super cool. And so this campaign now goes for, uh, and you're, you're almost funded. I think you're in around, uh, like 12,000 of the $15,000 goal. Yep. You're only a few days in. So it's not a question of if you're going to fund the math is pretty clear. You were, you are going to fund just a matter of how far over you go. Um, how do you manage the slump? Like what's some of your advice for some of the people out there that are doing their own campaigns where you have, um, you know, there's that hockey stick, right? So you have kind of the big, the big lift at the beginning, then you have this big yeah. middle dip, and then you've got kind of the hockey stick at the end. And people are always asking me, you know, what do you do in the middle? Like, is there something you can do in the middle? Is there anything you can do to kind of get that, that going? Is there any advice you have for people out there on how to kind of approach that middle part? Yeah. I mean, the, the bell curve is always going to be there. You can't avoid it. It's like, you're never going to get the same level of backing every day as the first two days, but you can, still influence what happens on some of those days. Like we're running a 21 day campaign. So the first three days we know is all about the ads, the marketing, what we've done to build a crowd in advance and uh, the the video and the content creators that's all kind of at the beginning. Um, now we're hitting into day four, day five is when, what we're getting into. So now it's about doing <laughs> interviews is one way to, you know, just to keep it live and you can share sure. new posts. Uh, I had an interview with Mel from Mel's board game room and uh, yourself on this fantastic podcast. Uh, there's one other person I'm lined up for next week. So just being able to talk about it while the campaign's live is important. Um, live play tests, I have one of those planned for next week that, um, you know, even if you don't have a lot of people following to, to see when the event launches, once you're live, that you can show up automatically on people's feeds. Um, and then uh, I still have a couple of prototypes out there that people are just going to be play testing and posting pictures of. So uh, I would say just keeping content going, even if it's not the same level as the content that you launch with, um, that can help keep it fresh in the middle. Yeah. And the end kind of, the end kind of has Kickstarter's algorithms and the people who are following for their 48 hour reminder. So the end kind of takes care of itself. It's that middle where you just want to keep pushing limited content without spending a lot of money. That's a good point. Um, because I, I've, I've, I think we've all been there. I'm sure you've done this too, right? Yeah. Early in your, 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 uh, the kind of gaming career is you, you think you're going to be different, right? And you start pumping some money into different ads and people are will approach and say, Hey, we do these banner ads and different things. And, and all yeah. that money, you're just, you might as well just light a match to it. Right. It is very difficult to create any kind of spike uh, in the middle, but what you can do, what you're saying, and I think this is great advice is you still need to become, you need to be topical and you still need to be kind of, you know, present. So people know that this is still an active campaign and there's still some excitement there, but you just understand that you're going to reap the benefit of that as you get closer to, to the end versus in that, that kind of middle slump. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another part of that is um, if you have backers that are, are actually following your updates or your comments, you can get that encouragement and find ways for them to participate and share. Like um, I think I think, I don't know if I think you, but uh, there, there's some people that I talked to recently that, we hadn't pushed the board game geek page up until yesterday 
Um, mm. But now trying to make sure that anybody who's played the game has the prototype, uh, has a chance to put a rating and a comment, at least in the BGG page. And then we can kind of use that as a way to promote the game as well. So different avenues you can take that you might not have done before launch that you can still do while the campaign's active. That's actually a great point. <laughs> I just made a note of that in my book here. I was like, ooh, don't forget yeah. to tell the uh, the content creators to give you a review in Board Game Geek, right? Um, yeah. This Hammer Dog Games. So how did that come about? So they are like your publishing partner or walk me through that. What, what is that relationship? Yeah, so, um, my first job was at a comic book store when I was 19. And uh, one of the guys that was running and working at the shop was a guy named Danny O'Neill. And uh, throughout the years, we hadn't talked. Maybe we probably had a 15-year break where we didn't even speak. And yeah. then when I got into board game design, we ended up talking over Messenger, and then he helped gave me some advice on my early games. And then just last year, um, he's at a point where he wants to really push his uh, game company, which he's been running for years, hmm. uh, kind of a sideline. He wants to push that up, and I'm still working on my fundamental game. So um, he's a great guy. He likes my content. I like his, and so we're going to kind of merge some of our campaigns together he's got a great product called the world's greatest screen that is a rpg accessory and he's got a couple of board game or rpg books like the grand temple of jing and um the haunted some haunted manor one but um I, he's just really good at uh, participating and driving in the the process of making a game marketable and uh, reaching out to other people and i think he has a great a lot of great ideas of his own um games like uh, he has a game called chaos chess that we're working on and another one called magic tavern that we've been playing around with so we're, we're just excited to try to have more ideas come together instead of individual yeah one somebody once told me i had an old boss used to say none of us are as smart as all of us and it, it is so true right like you can you can go it alone but man if you can get some feedback from people around you or bounce have that sounding board to bounce ideas off um, it's just going to allow you to elevate things. Like I can think in every single one of the games we've done something that someone that we're showing it to came up with and we're like, Ooh, that's actually a really good idea. And you implement it. Right. And, uh, so there's no shortage of ideas out there. You just got to kind of sort through which ones are the ones that are best kind of suited to what you're trying to do. And then, uh, and then be willing to implement it, I guess is kind of the, uh, the challenge, right? Yeah. And that, that's the best part about playtesting games too, is, you know, you, you'll play test with, you know, 20 people, 50 people, however many people you end up playtesting with. And just out of the 2,000 ideas they shove at you, which 10 are going to make the game better? Because you can't implement all 2,000 ideas. You're just going to make a, a mess of your game. So just yeah. parsing out the best and um, still appreciating their ideas, but knowing that they can't all work. Now, I know for you, this is a side hustle, like most of us in this industry. Um, how how have you kind of mapped this out for yourself as a company, right? Because you've got a number of titles. How many titles are you at now? Uh, this is game number six and project number nine or 10. I'm, I'm losing track, James. Yeah, we're kind of actually in the same spot. So, um, and when you start getting to that number of games, what I'm finding myself is it's becoming a little bit easier to kind of promote the company because you don't just look at like a, like a one game company. You actually have a, a portfolio of games. Are you keeping, do you have inventory of all that, all those games? And are you continuing to now kind of promote them as a family or how are you approaching it as a business now? Yeah. I mean, when I did uh, my last campaign, Dungeon Makers, I still had add-ons for Legends of Novus, Die in the Dungeon, Quisteros. Um, all those other games that I've made for this campaign, I just focused on Forge because uh, Danny and I just formed this partnership and we yeah. wanted it to be all about this game and this this kind of launch of our, our combination or our collaboration. 
Uh, but I do keep a Shopify page and still keep any titles I have running. Uh, I finally ran out of my first big board game, Legends of Nova, so there's a possibility of doing a second print run, but uh, still deciding if the cost versus reward is worth doing that or not. Uh, but any other titles I have, I still keep live on my Shopify page. And that's, I think that's the decision process a lot of us try to go through is, okay, do I do another print run when this runs out? Do I do another campaign, maybe for an expanded, like uh, like a 2.0 or kind of a second edition? Is that something you would look at for some of these earlier titles of revisiting them and coming back and refreshing them and almost doing like a, like a second edition so that you get the benefit from the funding, from the crowdfunding, yet at the same time be able to kind of continue bringing this uh, these games to market? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it would be just as hard to run a reprint campaign as it, as it is to run a new campaign. Um, yeah. And you're going to lose some of the backer interest because people who liked it the most already have the game and they might even be dismayed. So it's a tough call. I haven't made that decision yet if I want to do that. I know that um, if I wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't crowdfund it because I haven't made enough money off games to just yeah. make 2,000 games wait for them to sell. I, I need Kickstarter as the platform that helps manufacture the games in the first place. So um, I'm not sold on, on the second edition yet, but it, I think it would, it's probably a better idea to make an expansion and a second edition at the same time instead of just a second edition. Okay, so the original game, but it's also going to come with, here's some add-ons for people who already have the game that can then add it onto their copy kind of a thing. Yeah, so you have a reason to reproduce the first game for new backers, but people yeah. that already know about the game and can actually socially promote it and say good things about it have a reason to back it as well and participate yeah we're in this camp with uh, tanks but no thanks which was our first game that we had published on kickstarter uh, yeah. where there's been so many learnings uh since we launched that game that if i was to launch it today i would do that game very differently right different type of artwork and make sure there's uh like a solo mode and things like that so we've actually established all this and this is what i'm going through right do i do the base with like an expansion kit or do I just say, I'm going after a new audience and we're going to do a complete refresh of this game and have it come out and it'll it'll look like our original game, but on steroids, so to speak. Um, yeah. I, I still don't know. I'm still kind of on the fence with this because I'm kind of with you on that, right? Where you're going to have some people that were there during the first wave that they helped you get started, right? And are, are you going to be upsetting them? Or maybe you offer them some kind of a deep... I talked to one of our last guests about this too. Um do you offer a deep discount, right? Do you say, okay, maybe I'll just give like a super discount for those original backers. So if they want to get the whole new version, they can, that might actually be cheaper than trying to kind of split it up and do original within this kind of add on piece, right? Like it's, um, it's kind of funny. Often I'll, I'll talk to people, they'll say, um, you know, you should add on this, you should add on that. And the more complexity you add to a game, uh, the, the costlier it is, right? In terms of logistics, pick pack fees, things like that. I had a game where I had one, the person had one card that had um, just somehow in the manufacturing process that one card had got folded over. So there was like a, like a fold in the corner of one card. And they said, can you send me a replacement card? I sent them an entire new game. It was cheaper for me just to send them an entire new game then pay someone at the warehouse to open up a card game, sort through, try to find the card that's banned, put that into a little package and send it off. And then they replace it. It's like, guys, I'll just send yeah, you. In my garage, I have two or three open games that are just used for parts. And yeah, I'm always hoping that the, you know, the part that one person's missing is different than the part from another person. <laughs> uh, but I've had to open two or three game boxes because there were two people that were missing the same part. 
it doesn't happen often, maybe one out of 500 games, but yeah, um, like you said, you got to find the pieces somewhere. And then what do you do? At some point, you run out of space, right? You just can't hang on to all these partially open games and hope that someday someone might need uh, the replacement, right? So I think I'm getting better at just kind of calling it in, at certain points and saying, you know what, we're just going to kind of cut bait on this and, and, and kind of fish in this other direction. It's, it's, uh, it's about efficiency. I think the, the more games you have that you're, that you're launching. Um, so when you talk about uh, add-ons and components, and one of the things that Danny enlightened me on, and I, for some reason never came to mind was that if you can keep your, your component weight under four kilograms or four pounds, I can't remember, probably pounds, <laughs> eight, kilo, eight pounds would be a lot, but if you can keep your game under four pounds, the shipping is dramatically less than if it's over four pounds. So even yeah. adding on an extra board or an extra 20 cards, that might just be the thing that makes shipping $10 more per game. And then you just tank yourself. Coins is another example of that, right? People say, oh, I'm going to throw coins in. Well, yeah, you just had like a pound of weight to your game. That ain't cheap, right? So yeah, it's crazy. So what do you, do you have any other uh, titles coming up or what? what's going to come after Forge? What's kind of next on deck for you guys? Can you talk about it or kind of where you guys yeah, headed? I mean, Forge was kind of our, our flagship game to, to launch us being a collaboration. Uh, Danny's been working on another card game um, that, that is built upon the, the game of chess called Chaos Chess. I don't want to talk too much about the game because mm. um, I don't know how much he wants to release yet, but uh, that's something we're working on together. And then um, he has spoken and we've, we've looked through um, some opportunities for uh, kind of a uh, party game system called Magic Tavern um, that really uses a lot of familiar games, but puts them into a fantasy setting and, and has a neat uh, packaging and philosophy behind it. So, those are a couple that we're looking at. Uh, there's another uh, different themed game that we're considering for next year, but haven't fleshed out yet. So there, there's a lot on the roadmap for us anyway. All the excitement never ends. Well, Wes, for anybody that wants to follow your campaign, they can. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Just go down and click on that. Or quite frankly, just go to Kickstarter and type in Forge. You'll find it there yeah. as well. Uh, man, I want to wish you all the best of this campaign. I can't wait to get my copy. I'm excited for this. So hopefully everything goes super smooth and goes even faster than you anticipated. So I can get this, uh, before the end of the year, I want to wish you and, uh, hammer dog games, all the best and you take care. Thank you, James. Cheers. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.